And I'm just a country boy Money have I none But I've got silver In the stars Gold in the morning sun Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. That's the gentle giant. Don Williams kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors show. I'm Cable Smith, and there is no place, let me reiterate that, there is no place I'd rather be than, oh, that's probably a lie. If I had a bighorn sheep tag, I'd probably rather be doing that. But no, seriously, I'm so glad to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Thank you so much for being here today. It is a treat and an honor and a privilege week in and week out. So thank you again. We've got a great show lined up for you this morning, Uh, one that's going to be all over the map, some exciting stuff, some disappointing stuff, and some crazy stuff regarding what happened to Bell and I a couple weeks ago. So before I give you the rundown of today's broadcast, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire here. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos because we are ready to rock and roll off the top. Many of you have heard the story of the Denton County monster that was arrowed back. Uh, it was the first week of archery season, so early October uh, this season. And unfortunately, Game Wards confiscated that deer. Uh, it was poached. It was shot after legal shooting hours. And come to find out, it was also shot on property that the hunter didn't have permission to be hunting on. So, uh, we will get into the Travis Johnson buck in great detail. I mean, Game Warden's confiscated everything. His computer, cell phone, uh, iPad, everything they needed to make a case against him. But he'd already admitted to shooting the deer at night. The Game Warden's found his tree stand on the wrong side of the property line. So there was a lot of stink on social media and, and various hunting forums like Texas Bowhunter, people saying, oh, Travis would never do that because he's a good Christian. Well, let me tell you, friends, big racks have been making otherwise good men make horrible decisions from the dawn of time, and you can interpret that probably in more than one way. But it is what it is. Uh, I don't care if you're a good family man. I don't care if you read your Bible every day. It happens in every state every year. Big bucks get poached. It always happens. And uh, and sometimes it's good guys making bad choices, which is what Travis did. And and so we will find out how the game wardens built their case against Travis and also talk about the restitution and penalties involved with the situation. And there's actually another deer that's also been confiscated that Travis shot out of that stand uh, a year prior. So... Lots of stuff to get into on that front. Denton County Game Warden Stormy McQuiston, who headed up the investigation, will be here momentarily. Then a uh, a pretty scary situation regarding my four-legged friend Bell and I. As we were duck hunting with our good friend Chris Wilson and, and Two Rivers Hunting up in Oklahoma a couple weeks ago. It was very cold, and when I saw my gal fall through the ice, I mean, my heart was in my throat. So the uh, the series of reactions from Chris, myself, and then uh, two brothers from Valor Duck Calls that were there as well, uh, it, it saved the day, and it saved Bell's life. And we'll talk about that coming up here in a little bit. Then we'll wrap up today's broadcast by checking in 
with Predator Hunters Kurt Davis and William Wilkinson, winners of a $48,000 paycheck as they took home first place at the West Texas Big Bobcat Contest a couple weekends ago. I mean, think about that. Almost fifty grand for weighing in the heaviest bobcat. Talk about uh, an incredibly, well, I don't know if that amount of money is life-changing, but it's certainly significant. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to visiting with uh, Kurt and William regarding their hunt that night, how they were able to call in that big cat, and what other predators they had to get just to be able to weigh in their 34-pound, 7-ounce bobcat. Uh, so interesting stuff coming up on the predator hunting front at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. Uh, I guarantee you that. Let's do this. Let's do a uh, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Lone Star Beer prize pack. It's a camo dove seat slash cooler camo cap. We'll throw in a bandana and a Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker. Third person to text in the word Bobcat. That's Bobcat to 214-289-7807. And you could win the Lone Star Beer prize pack. Uh, also, don't forget, we're still running our Photo of the Month contest in 2018. We've got one going on right now. And our uh, our monthly winners will square off for the grand prize hunt package at Coons Canyon Ranch. You get to hunt Axis Deer or Black Buck with me and my buddy Glenn Underwood at his ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Uh, so don't forget to get your photos in. Well, let's take a break. Up next, it's the tale of the Denton County Monster. What would have been a buck of a lifetime instead will end up on the wall of shame. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. I've been packing my gear, now open day's near. I'm saving up change for poker all year. I've sighted my gun and got plenty of ammo. I'm going in the woods in full camo. Yeah, I'm ready. Deer hunting song from Kyle Hunt bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. It's great to be here talking hunting and fishing with you today. Thanks for lending your ear and tuning in to the presentation. I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you as we've got a, uh, well, there's no other way to put it, a, a very unfortunate whitetail story to get into. One that for me personally... Uh, I hate it when it goes down like this. I would much rather interview the hunter 
after a successful hunt of a of a buck of this magnitude, especially more so than the game warden who had to confiscate it, which is the reality uh, concerning the Denton County buck that was shot earlier this year, which by all understanding could be a potential state record if it was taken legally. So we'll be joined by Denton County game warden Stormy McQuiston, uh, who headed up the investigation here momentarily. But first, this segment is brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Be sure to celebrate responsibly when you do tag that deer, of course, legally, uh, with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Well, without further ado, uh, I say we go ahead and get into this conversation. It's one that I've been wanting to have for some time. Uh, and, and people got, oh my God, y'all should have seen it on outlets like uh, Texas Bowhunter, Facebook. People absolutely roasted me. They couldn't understand why I would, without the courts proving anything, say that Travis Johnson allegedly poached this deer. Well, that's what he did, allegedly poached the deer. The game wardens don't come to your house and take your deer away if you don't do something wrong. They just don't do it. They're not looking to make trouble for people. And so when they, when game wardens confiscated Travis's deer, it was news. That That's news. When a state record deer gets confiscated, it's newsworthy for an outdoor outlet to report on it. So I'm not going to apologize for that. I never did. But I'm not going to sit here and say I told you so because at the end of the day, I was hoping with everything inside of me that Travis would get that buck back and that it was just a big misunderstanding. But ultimately, I knew otherwise. I knew it from a firsthand source that was there that that wasn't going to happen. So anyway, uh, I've been on, on the phone with Game Warden McQuiston off and on for the past three months, and he could not come on the air to talk about the situation until everything was wrapped up in court. So last week, that's what happened, and it's a pleasure now to finally get to visit with Denton County Game Warden Stormy McQuiston. Uh, Stormy, thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Glad to glad to help you out, Cable. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we've been on the phone off and on for, gosh, since basically the beginning of bow season when uh, this big uh, Denton County buck was uh, allegedly shot. Well, it was shot uh, by uh, Travis Johnson, a, a nice guy. I know him, um, you know, somewhat well. I've shot bows with him before. Uh, but then the buck was confiscated. So everybody wants to know what happened. Um, and it, it's been a lot of speculation, this, that, and the other. But I figured now that the case is public knowledge, um, we can go ahead and, and have that discussion. Uh, so why don't you tell us when you first became aware of the situation? Well, I was I had been aware of it. Uh, for a little while, I mean, you, you gotta you've got to look back a week prior to it happening. Uh, you know, the deer was the deer was shot a week before it was harvested. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Travis shot the deer and, and actually made what I thought was a pretty good shot on the deer, uh, and and couldn't find it. Him and some other guys looked and and even called even called us and and got our opinion on the matter and and you know no game warden went out there to try to find the deer mm-hmm. uh but but you you had some guys out there that that knew deer hunting and knew deer tracking and, and they couldn't find it yeah did he call uh, a dog in yeah absolutely I, I believe there was one maybe two dogs that were brought in to try to find the deer and rightly so you know yeah uh but 
I guess they had initially thought that the deer had crossed over onto to core property. Uh, but anyway, that being said, they, they couldn't find the deer. Uh, then the deer shows back up a few days later on game cam. Uh, they're pretty late at night. So, uh, that's when Travis went back to hunting the deer. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, and he, he hunted the deer for a couple more days there. Uh, but, uh, and, and then ended up harvesting the deer. Okay. And, it, and for people out there listening, I mean, this is a monster buck, uh, every bit of, I mean, I don't know, people just go look at the picture. You can tell us, I'm sure you, that the deer has officially been scored. What, what, what did this thing score and how many points did it have? Uh, I really don't know how many points it had cable. Uh, the, the deer was scored by a professional that came in, uh, Ken Witt. That's the Boone and Crockett Club, and and he scored a lot of a lot of big deer, uh, and a lot of other animals uh, on the other side of Whitetail. Uh, the I, I haven't really got into the numbers much as far as where the deer's at. Ken uh, Ken let me know that that the deer's probably second or so right there behind the Benson buck that was killed a long time ago, and it would definitely be. Uh, number one in the state as far as uh, as far as a bow kill. As far as an archery non typical. Yes. So yeah, we're talking. I mean, AJ Downs buck is like two hundred and fifty something mid fifties uh, inches. So we're talking about something bigger than that. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, you're it. He scored two seventy eight. I mean, there's there's no way around it. And this is that's what this, this buck scored. Guy, yeah, that's that's what he scored. Two seventy eight. Oh his, my god. Okay. Yeah, that is gross. That's what he officially scored BMC. Yeah. Uh, by probably one of the top one or two guys in the business that's in the business scoring deer. Jeez. Okay. So that's that's where he's at. Uh huh. And so okay, just so now people know we're talking about a, what would have been a state record buck. Uh, so so Travis goes back to hunting him. What happens um, to get you guys involved? Well, uh, kind of what kind of what got me involved was uh, just just some information. You know, there were surprises some pictures taken and that were floating around there a little bit uh you know obviously everybody has their opinions as to what happened but but you know there's only just a, a handful of folks that know what happened mm-hmm. uh and and that being said i it wasn't a matter of hey game one needs to go look at this deer and investigate the deer because it's you know we want we wanted it to be on the up and up just as bad as anybody Oh hell yeah! Uh, it makes some, but, it's, for uh, me, it's a much better story to have Travis on instead of you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And uh, uh, now there was some. I had some questions about some uh, a, a waste of game type deal because Travis had shot the deer on an evening of the seventh, whatever day that was. I think that's on a Saturday, mm-hmm. Saturday evening, and then. I'm seeing pictures that are in the daylight of a field dress deer the next day. So, I mean, it was only 50, 55 degrees there, and there's no reason for that deer to still be field dressed or not be at a processor or something. Right. Uh, you know, and, and to me, that's that's not right. You know, that's that's what I have a job for. It's my job to look into things like that. Why why do I have a field dress deer the next day at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, that hadn't been quartered out or caked out or or at a processor, mm-hmm. uh, when I know, in fact, he was harvested the night before. Uh, so there was just some questions that I had, and, and the further I dug, uh, 
the more we got into things and, and things just kind of kept turning and turning and, and we finally got to the bottom of what went down. Uh-huh. So. And which was, I'll let you talk about that. Cause you know, you guys don't go take a deer for no reason. Um, so no, absolutely not. I, you know, I'm, I'm not in the business of, of taking people's deer, uh, by any means, but, uh, we, we got down to it and, and we had figured out some things that weren't right as far as, uh, where, where he had permission to hunt. Uh, and we verified that through the landowner who, whom he did have permission to hunt on. And then the, the adjacent landowner to where he did not have permission to be hunting on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so some things there were, uh, he was actually hunting across the property line on someone else's piece of property that he did not have permission to be hunting on. So there's, I guess I'm assuming there's no fence there and he just had his, there's, there's no fence. There's no tree line. There's, there's an old line about 70 yards from where he was. Uh, but man, nowadays it's, it's not hard to check a property line. I mean, you've got, I've got a hunt stand app on my phone that shows me every property line you can get on yeah. the Denton County appraisal district and check all the property lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was well, well within this other person's property. You know, try to assume a tree stand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, and the tree stand had been there for as long as he had been hunting there. Okay. Uh, so you've got that going on. Uh, you've got the deer that, you know, what originally led me there was a waste of game. Uh, the deer was dumped in a, uh, dumped in a pit over in Crumb. And, uh, you know, they, they claimed that there was infection there, infection in the meat. And there was some pus around the old, entry and exit wounds uh, from the week prior uh, and you know I, I I went along with that and 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 was not going to disagree with the fact that you know hey you know you may or may not feed this to your family or what have you but the whole carcass of the deer that weighed probably 225 or 240 on the hoof uh, was essentially wasted mm-hmm. so you know I, I, I mean I, that's kind of one of those gray areas for me personally though because like just Last week, I cleaned a pintail that had rice breast. Well, that's a parasite, yeah. and, and you can eat it. I've read that, hey, you can cook that parasite out of it, essentially. But, but why? But I don't why? want to do that. It looks gross, and I can't wrap my mind yeah. around eating something that I can see a parasite in. That's it. And and to me, it's all about using common sense and, and using judgment. Uh, and it, it was my call. Hey, you know what? I agree with you guys. Uh, you know, I might or might not feed this to my family. So if you're on board with that, I, I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, and I, I left there, uh, with the intent of, of not, didn't have any intention on filing any waste the game case and, and didn't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, uh, but anyway, back to the landowner deal, uh, there was some landowner issues there, uh, where we had visited with him to make sure Travis had permission to be there and just right there in the field that we were pulling it up on our phones and, you know, he wasn't anywhere near near the property line where he was supposed to be mm-hmm. so you know the stands and the feeders were all on someone else's property like uh, 100 yards or like uh, yeah just within 100 yards uh-huh. exactly it, okay. it wasn't outside of 100 but it was well uh i mean it was 70 yards yeah and this isn't so, these aren't huge properties either uh the one was 60 plus acres uh the one that he had permission to hunt on was about i think seven or ten i think it was seven acres uh-huh. okay. uh so, but nonetheless, I mean, there's, there's a lot of deer sign, a lot of deer activity back there. 
Yeah, and we all know that you don't need a, a giant place to kill a big buck, but a 7 to 10 acre property and you're 70 yards on the other side of the property line with today's technology, like you mentioned, is unacceptable. Well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, come back, and find out exactly how you guys were able to confirm that Travis did indeed shoot this buck after dark and uh, what fines and penalties you ended up levying against him. Sound good? Yes, sir. All right, that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it, whether that's for recreating, hunting, running cattle, or otherwise. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. Check them out at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more from Denton County Game Warden Stormy McQuiston right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Still I'll spend my time and all my cash on Folsom in a jukebox and the prey. Hey, it's Justin at DontTradeItIn.com. Have you ever felt like you didn't get enough for your trade-in at a car dealership? You probably didn't. Trade-ins usually become inventory, and most car dealerships are like other businesses. They want inventory costs to be as low as possible. DontTradeItIn.com buys vehicles for more, guaranteed. Are you worried about mechanical and or cosmetic issues? Not planning on replacing your vehicle? No problem. We'll still make you a cash offer. DontTradeItIn.com even buys customized, off-road, special interest, classic, and exotic vehicles. Head over to DontTradeItIn.com, answer some quick questions, and you get a cash bid on your vehicle in no time. DontTradeItIn.com or call or text us at 469-300-9669. Again, that's 469-300-9669. A rock steady point, a covey rises, over-unders ring out. Cable here for White Rock Upland Birds, an outfit Bell and I have hunted with many times. Whether you bring your bird dogs or use their polished pointers, hunting quail and pheasant on the White Rock Trophy Ranch is an experience to remember. Located 45 minutes from TFW in Italy, Texas, White Rock will waive the $150 guide fee if you mention the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Plus, save $25 off any package if you bring your own dogs. So grab your buddies and shotguns and call 972-880-9068 today. Hi, this is James McMurtry. Thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Honey, don't you be yelling at me when I'm cleaning my gun. I'll wash the blood off the tailgate when deer season's done. We got one more weekend to go. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Copper Canteen, one of the most well-written songs I've heard in the last couple years. That's James McMurtry's greatness bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. Uh, We're all set to continue our discussion with Denton County Game Warden Robert, a.k.a. Stormy McQuiston. Regarding the would-be state record deer that was poached in Denton County this past archery season. Uh, But before we do that, this segment of the show is brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion, Texas. Also with the second location in San Antonio, Josh and Becky Gunther have been doing all of my taxidermy for seven years. They do amazing work. I mean, maybe I'll put a picture. Maybe I'll take a video of all the stuff they've done. I'm looking at a black bear, white tail, axis deer, trout, black buck, a gims buck, pronghorn antelope, canvas back duck, 
you name it. If I want to put it on the wall, uh, Josh and Becky, they're the ones I call. They do amazing work with fast turnaround time. They answer the phone when you call. They'll do the same for you. Check them out at gr8mounts.com. All right, uh, well, Stormy, you know, before the break, we kind of got the background as far as where Travis was hunting, which he was doing illegally, uh, and then the speculation that this buck was taken after legal shooting hours, which was confirmed. But let's pick it up here. Um, you guys have realized Travis's tree stand is 70 yards across the property line. It's obviously been there for multiple seasons. What do you do at this point? So we went to confront Travis about it uh, the next day, and we'd actually, uh, once we figured out that, that he didn't have permission to be where he was, we actually had the landowner of the adjacent property sign an affidavit saying that he did not have permission to be there. Uh, and Travis had already pointed out where he shot the deer, where he found the deer, where he gutted the deer, all that stuff was already figured out. Uh, but anyway, we had a search warrant and we went to Travis's house and got, got the things that we needed to, to get, to make our case on that. Uh, and then one thing led to another and, and we figured out that Travis had actually harvested the deer at night. Uh So that night later on, uh, uh, that Saturday evening. So, so well after legal shooting time. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Was there a full moon? I don't remember what that first weekend of October was. It was a full moon. It, it was a full moon there for almost a full week. Uh, and, and these deer were coming in religious, you know, one thirty AM. Uh, and this deer was coming in like clockwork. He was coming in like clockwork, even with a wound in him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, straight running big full moon. Uh, you could see just as clear as day, uh, and, and, and Travis owned up to, to saying that he, he did in fact shoot the deer, uh, past legal hunting hours. Did he ever tell you what time it was? He, he really couldn't. We had some things, uh, a timeline or two that we had down that, that had it narrowed down, uh, sometime right there at nine o'clock and, and even a little bit beyond nine o'clock. Okay. Uh-huh. So, but he, he really couldn't remember that. He had a lot going on there. Sure. Uh, you know, by, between the time he shot the deer and between the time he called for help to come out there and help him load the deer. And, you know, there was a lot of excitement there. And as far as narrowing down an exact time, he doesn't know. Uh, but, but he does know that it was shot, shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. So, and so when he shot at that time, did the deer expire quickly? Was he able to find it relatively? Yeah, the, the deer went, uh, the deer went about 50 or 60 yards, uh, and he actually didn't make quite as good of a shot on him the second, second time around as he did the first. Uh, and the deer, the deer, uh, ended up laying down and, and, uh, Is that the, I mean, from the photo, it looks like he was shot pretty far back at one point in time. I, you know, he was, he was, and Travis will tell you the same thing that the year was that he, he did not make that good of a shot in his second go around. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it, it happens to any of us, you know, I've shot deer with bows and, and I'm sure you have too. And, you know, you're sitting there looking at something like that and it's, it'd be tough for me to even get a pin on it, much sure. less have oh, yeah. to make a decent shot. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that, that's how it went down for sure. So, uh, we ended up getting some things that we needed as far as game cameras and and some some time lapse photos and stuff like that as far as when the deer was coming in and and the potential of having a deer coming in there uh, on the hoof on his camera uh, 
right just before he made the shot, and then uh, potentially the deer leaving out of sight after he after he shot the deer. So uh, there there was some evidence in there that was good for us, and and uh, you know Travis agreed to everything, mm-hmm. and and we just kept it going. So okay, and so ultimately, what was he charged with? I know he entered a plea. Um, and I think was only ultimately charged with one thing. Uh, explain how the legal stuff pan, uh, panned out. That's it. Uh, we we came to the decision to to just file uh, a class A misdemeanor hunt hunt whitetail deer at night on Travis. Uh, there was uh, some other issues in there as far as hunt without landowner consent, and when you when you take a whitetail deer without landowner consent, that's felony. Yeah. Uh, and not only did we have this deer, but we had, uh, two other deer from the past three years that he had harvested from the same, uh, same stand location and same feeder, which he did not have permission to be on. So it, it was a waterfall effect of, of having several different things here. Uh, you know, and like we started off, Travis, Travis is a good, pretty good fellow. He's got a great family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm not here to, to ruin somebody's life over a deer, uh, regardless of, of how big it might be or whether it's a doe, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but, but it was my decision to go ahead and stick with just the class A and, uh, and, and not have any felony charges in there. So I think they were appreciative, appreciative of that sure. on their end. And, uh, it made things roll a little bit more smoothly. So, yeah. Yeah. uh, that's, that's the way I decided to handle my business on that on that deal and I, you know i've been questioned about that whether it was right or wrong doesn't matter at the end of the day it was it was my decision I so think that's what i chose to do a felony is is going to ruin someone's life has potential to uh, like you said he's a good guy made a mistake that doesn't mean he should keep the deer and that he shouldn't face the consequences as far as restitution goes and what this means for you know take take travis out of the equation for some anybody where they're convicted of shooting a deer uh, after legal shooting hours, what does that mean for their future as a hunter? Uh, well, in, in Travis's case, you know, we, we've we got things where we'll suspend the hunting license uh, and and go that route. Uh, he'll, he'll do some probation with the DA's office there in Denton County, and uh, and we'll, we'll have his hunting license suspended for that duration also. Uh, you know, not only is it suspended in Texas, but it's suspended in our uh, – other states as well that that are in the compact, uh, you know, and and that'll affect him for several years, uh, and and then everything should should kind of slough back off into normal, uh, you know. As far as the civil restitution amount on the deer, it's it's definitely a large amount. It's it's a little over fifty three thousand, uh, and I, and all that'll be that'll be dealt with through the attorney general's office through the state. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah. All right. Yeah, um, and that's you know, and that that's another reason you're sitting there looking at that civil restitution amount, and and uh, you know, there's no reason stacking felony charges on somebody when you know, in fact, that they're going to have to, uh, you know, have this fine amount to look forward to, and and uh, it's just kind of a tough deal to swallow to to put all that on one guy. So. Yeah. Well, and, and let me let me tell people, like I said, I know Travis. <clears throat> we use the same bow technician sometimes. I've shot with him. Bow hunting was the guy's life. I mean, he was obsessed with it, eating up with it, loved deer. He loved animals. He just made a bad choice. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. And and who hasn't? Uh, you know, I 
I'm just as, you know, just as guilty of making bad choices, uh, just like everybody else. Sure. Is. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it could, it could happen to any of us, you know, when you're sitting there looking at something like that and, and Travis is hunted enough to know, uh, you know, know the consequences of shooting a deer of that class and what comes along with it. Uh, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on you, uh, to do the right thing or in his case to do the wrong thing. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, we, you know, we'll keep his family in, uh, thoughts and prayers and, and hope that he comes out uh, better somehow out of the situation. I know the temptation to shoot a state record quality buck uh, I'll just leave it at this. Big bucks make people do bad things. They do. You see it in every state, every season, uh, without fail. And, uh, that's, uh, that's exactly it. That's why I have a job, sir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, oh, it sure does. Stormy, we appreciate um, you coming on today and, and uh, breaking down this situation for us. Like you said, 278-inch buck would have been a state record by, I think, A.J. Downs buck is 256, so it would have crushed the archery record. And uh, I don't remember what the Houston guy with the state record. What's the state record rifle these days? I don't even remember. Uh, if if I tried to tell you, I would I would probably be lying to you, Cable. Uh, <laughs> you know my my resident expert, Ken Witt. He's he's a really good fellow that that does the whole BNC deal and, yeah. and Pope and Young and and he's a brainiac when it comes to all that stuff because most of those deer he scored them himself. But uh, uh, I you know you can step back and look at that stuff as far as where he'd rank in the state. But, uh, I mean, I think it goes a little bit bigger than that. And, and this deer is, is, is above all that even. Interesting. And, uh, one of those stories that, like I said, from, for my money, I'd rather be visiting with Travis talking about this deer. Um, but it's news. And so we have to, we have to talk about it. You know, it's not something that's pleasant, not something I like to do on a regular basis, but, uh, 278, 78 inch buck is, is a buck worth talking about. So that's it. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for uh, all you and, and, uh, your team did on this case. And, and thanks for making time for us. You bet. Cable. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Denton County game warden, Stormy McQuiston, uh, giving us the lowdown on the poached state record buck would have been state record. Now it will reside on the wall of shame, uh, one of those traveling trailers that Texas Parks and Wildlife takes around to various uh, hunting trade shows and youth days to make an example and to teach people not to break game laws. Um, after having time to think about it, Travis got off very easy, y'all. I mean, he, he really did. He could have been charged with four felonies. Uh, game Warden McQuiston was was very lenient on on Travis. And you might think, well, how is $53,000 fine lenient? Well, that's a lot of money. But he could have lost his hunting license for life. He could have done jail time, uh, like we saw with the, uh, the Grayson County poachers here this fall. Uh, if you haven't seen that story, uh, you should check it out. But they'll be serving jail time for five years every weekend during hunting season plus a $20,000 fine. I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse for Travis. A lot worse. Uh, Game Warden McQuiston also confiscated a 144-inch deer that uh, he that Travis shot out of that stand a year before and is uh, actively trying to get another buck. Uh, well, I, I assume he will get it. Um, and the restitution on those combined would have been 
over another $50,000, but I do not think he is going to go after Travis on that. So, like I said, uh, number one, great work by our Texas Parks and Wildlife game wardens and Stormy and uh, his team. Number two, Travis is very lucky that it was Stormy uh, because Stormy doesn't give a crap what other people think. Even if his peers think he should have put Travis under the jail, Stormy did what he thought was fair and what he thought was right. And and I think Travis needs to be very thankful for that. So there's a lot more to the story if you want to read the affidavits. Uh, some very damning stuff in there as well. But we are not going to beat a dead horse any longer. It's time to put this story to bed. It's a damn shame because that was such an amazing deer. Uh, but at the end of the day, hopefully this serves as a reminder to anybody else thinking about making a questionable decision on a big buck that, hey, that didn't work out so well for that other guy. Maybe that sticks in the back of their mind. Maybe they heard this interview or they, they read about it in a newspaper. Um, anyway, that segment of the presentation was brought to you by Horizon Firearms. My Horizon 7 mag is the gun that I trust. It is an absolute tack driver, specked out the way that I wanted it. And it's been from Colorado to Canada to South Africa. And when I pull the trigger, I know the animal is going down quickly and cleanly. There's no doubt in my mind. That confidence is, uh, is an amazing thing. Horizon will do the same for you on your rifle. Check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Up next, I recount a harrowing situation that actually happened to me two weekends ago while I was duck hunting in Oklahoma. It involved my four-legged best friend, Bell here, and resulted in me being very, very cold. I can laugh about it now. We weren't laughing that morning, though. I'll tell you about it next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Nothing but a wounded highway, no blood in these veins. You hardly see a car, truck, or train. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. You better check your pulse Cause you ain't lived yet Till you've seen the steam From a Labrador's breath His tail starts thumping When you load the gun But we've been waiting on a day With a stiff north wind Cause when it kicks up They're gonna ride it on in Now all we need is a ride. Yeah, Duck Blind One of my favorites from Justin Bowerman Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thanks for being here as we are talking all things outdoors today. Uh, 
about to talk a little duck blind action ourselves. Something crazy happened to Bell and I uh, about two weeks ago now. But before we get into that, one of my favorite things about hunting camp is a cold glass of whiskey and story time around a hot campfire. All Seasons Feeders not only makes feeders and blinds, they also have a full lineup of barbecue pits and fire pits. And my fire pit actually comes with a grill as well, so you can throw your back straps on there once you get those embers going, uh, cook that up, and then bring that fire back to bonfire status once you're done cooking. Absolutely love mine. You can check it out at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right. Well, like I said, two weeks ago, I was hunting with my buddy Chris Wilson and two rivers hunting up around uh, Durant, Oklahoma. And we'd had sub-freezing temperatures for about a week heading into that Friday. Um, And Chris invited me. He said, yeah, come on. I've got one tank where about 100 mallards and ringnecks have kept open a little piece of water because everything else was frozen and I mean frozen solid the only open water was on reservoirs so when Chris found this little honey hole um, and and the only reason why the the water was open is because so many ducks were using it so he had a he had an ice eater and I've never even seen an ice eater I mean hunting this far south those aren't really a thing for us but as a guide he uh, he had an opportunity to pick one up and hell he needed it really bad the last couple weeks so you plug this thing into a generator drop it down in that hole, and it actually makes the hole bigger. It pushes warm water up over the ice, pushes the ice away. It's got a propeller in it, uh, so that's kind of an overview of how it works. Fascinating and certainly legit. The thing the thing works like a charm. So we break up a little ice when we get there, make the hole bigger, and around first light, um, Chris and two brothers from Valor Calls, uh, awesome duck call company, but they were hunting with us as well. And uh, myself and Bell, we're sitting sitting there, and um, we have mallards and ringnecks just dumping in there. I mean, literally, before legal, I could have reached out and, and caught a ringneck. I'm not kidding you. They were all over the place, and they wanted in that hole bad. So legal shooting time comes, and uh, and like I said, this pond is, is frozen over except for basically the right corner, uh, which is where the blind was and, and where we had our little open space for the ducks to light into. Uh, the rest of it was frozen solid. I mean, two-inch thick ice. So I could walk on some of it. Uh, but as you got towards the middle, you could tell the ice got a little thinner, and especially with that, that ice eater we had going. Uh, so first light comes, a redhead lands in the decoys. Chris is like, shoot that duck, we're legal. And I said, nah, I don't want to water swat it to start the morning. So it got up and he smoked it. More on that duck later. Uh, so we have a pretty good hunt. I think we we're getting close to... Uh, 20 or so birds and all mallards ringnecks. Um, yeah, I think it was all mallards and ringnecks. Nice pile of green heads. Uh, and I go behind the blind to take a leak. Okay. And we've intentionally kept bell off the ice of uh, the middle of the pond. Let her, we let her walk around the, the edge of it. But if there was a duck in the middle, I did not send her cause I did not want her following through the ice. Uh, so there's about three ducks sitting out there dead on the ice at this point. And we just said, well, we'll just get a fishing pole when we're done and get them. No big deal. Um, well, I go behind the blind to take a leak. I see some ducks start working, so I squat down after I'm finished. And the guys shoot, and they drop a mallard hen off to my left towards the bank. And, of course, Belle's sitting outside the blind watching intently, as she always does, eyes to the sky. I mean, she's a much better hunter than I could ever hope to be. Never takes a playoff. And I said, Belle, dead bird. And I sent her. 
and she headed towards that mallard hen and then took a hard 90-degree turn out onto the ice. Well, I didn't see the guys drop the green head that they shot, and it was very much alive. So you've got a crippled duck that Bell saw. And to be honest with you, I, I don't even think Bell saw the mallard hen that I had marked. So we are on two different birds. She heads out onto the ice, and my heart just went into my throat. Before I could get her to stop, I, could, I mean, I couldn't even, there wasn't even time for me to grab the shock collar and shock her off that duck. She had already gone out there about 20 yards. You know, she's on a dead sprint, and she falls through the ice. So now what? Okay, well, your, your dog's sitting there treading water. She did have her vest on. And temperatures had started to rise. I'd say they were probably in the low 20s when we started the hunt, but uh, probably up around 33, 34 degrees at this point. So she's she's sitting there treading water. Uh, never made it to the duck. Um, and at that point, it's like, okay, well, Dad, it's your it's your move. What are you going to do? So we grab the, the cord from the ice eater, unplug it from the generator, and we try to make a lasso and lasso her. But the... The pond is too deep for us to get out there without it going over our waders. Uh, we we yell, I'm yelling, Bell, 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 come on, girl, you can do it, you can do it, hoping she can bust the ice back to us. That didn't happen. The ice was still too thick. So after about, I'd say, six or seven minutes of her treading water and us trying to figure out what the hell's going on, it became very obvious. And, and I knew from the beginning that there was a chance I was going swimming. Well... That was the only play at that point. Either watch your dog freeze to death and drown or go in and get her. It's always been my worst fear as a duck hunter. Always. Um, there were times I'd take my old uh, lab maverick out, even on the lakes when, when we'd have these week-long cold snaps. Man, the lakes are the best place to go because everything else is locked up. And uh, there were times where maverick never fell through the ice, but there was one time he chased a pintail when it was 14 degrees outside. For over 10 minutes, and I was fearful that he was going to die. Uh, he came out and was, was freezing, but no worse for the wear. Uh, but that was the only other time in my duck hunting career where I was fearful for my dog's life. And that was back when I was in college and, and couldn't afford a shock collar, so couldn't get him to come back to me until he finally just got too tired. He never did get that pintail. One of the few times I can say that ever happened. But he made it out alive. So now, anyway, got a similar situation with Belle, except for I can't, I can't get to her. So, I start stripping my clothes off, and between the four of us, myself, Chris, and uh, his buddies from Valor Calls, we came up with a plan. I, I basically said, when do y'all go get the truck? Please get that heater on full blast. Bring it right here to the bank. I'm going in to get her. So, I stripped down, and I remember even saying, Chris, what do you think? Should I strip all the way down? He's like, yeah, dude, you don't want to have any clothes on. I did leave my Long John pants on. That was it. But I had so many layers of clothes on. I had another pair of long johns I took off. I was like, well, I'll just put these on when I get out. So I've stripped down to my skivvies. Chris hands me an axe, and I start waiting out there. And it is cold. I mean, that first, not the first step in the water, but once I got to about waist deep, it hit me like, holy crap, this is <laughs> this is way worse than being hazed in a fraternity where we had to get an ice bath. So I tell you what, uh, this was a new kind of cold. But there's my dog in the water. What am I going to do? She's stuck. Got to go get her. Uh, so I start breaking ice. I get to where I can no longer stand. I'm chopping with one hand, pushing ice under uh, the existing ice with the other, trying to tread water with both hands when I'm not chopping. And I don't remember what I was yelling, but I'm pretty sure I was yelling, I'm coming, girl. I'm coming, girl, the whole time. 
looking at Belle. Her eyes are wide. Come on, Dad. You got to get here. I'm coming, Belle. I'm coming, Belle. I'm coming to get you. I don't know how long it took me to get there. I imagine about a minute and a half or so. Freed Belle. She swam right by me back to the bank and went and picked up that damn mallard hen I tried to send her on originally. So she's fine. Uh, she wasn't in the water even 10 minutes. I turn around and start swimming back, and I am freezing. Uh, the guys throw me the lasso that they had been trying to get uh, Bell with, and they drag me back to shore. I run up to the truck, strip my skivvies off, and hop in there, uh, put my other long johns on. And after about 15 or 20 minutes, I'll tell you what, my core temperature, I don't think really got that cold. I was only in the water probably under three minutes. Um, but my hands and feet were in bad shape. They were freezing, 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 freezing. So uh, I finally get warmed up enough to get out. And at this point, since I had broken the ice, um, Chris got his dog Shiner out of the truck and he was able to bust the ice a little bit further and collect all three of the ducks that we had shot out on the ice. Back to that first duck of the morning that I passed on, turned out to be a redhead ringneck hybrid with a beautiful purplish red head, something that I had never seen. Turns out it's the most common cross among divers. They don't uh, interbreed as commonly as puddle ducks do, according to the biologist uh, that Chris spoke to. But I passed on that thing. I've never shot a banded duck or a hybrid. Just goes to show you. That when your buddy tells you to shoot, you better do it, even if it's a water swat to start the morning. Because now, that hybrid is going on Chris's wall instead of mine. <laughs> Damn the luck. But anyway, Bell's okay. Oh, and I forgot to mention, Chris handed me a towel as I was stripping my long johns off. He actually handed me a towel, so I was able to essentially dry off uh, a little bit before I had to put my other clothes back on. So I get warmed up. I even partake in uh, the picture session there at the end of the hunt. The other guys called the hunt at that point. We ended up with, I think we had 20 ducks out of our, you know, our limit would have been 24. So we had a great hunt anyway. Now here's the million dollar question. Would I hunt Bell in that situation again? Well, I'm the type of guy who, if my dog isn't hunting, hunt doesn't mean as much to me. I'm some, sometimes I probably wish, wouldn't even go. I don't know. Duck hunting is how I fell in love with the outdoors. And it was because of that bond with Maverick um, and his desire to hunt made me love the sport fall in love with it and and here we are 15 years later uh so i don't know duck hunting is not the same if my duck dog's not there i know some of y'all probably feel the same way the only thing that happened that morning that was out of my control was you know i was behind the blind and bell marked a bird that i thought she was seeing what i was seeing and and she was looking at a, a crippled green head on the ice which i couldn't see i never would have sent her on that duck uh, if I, if I had to do it again, I'd probably still hunt Bell. And I had surveyed the situation before the hunt and knew that it wasn't a very big pond. The truck wasn't that far away. And look, you know, people die. Uh, there was a 22 year old kid that died fetching his, trying to retrieve his buddy's duck dog in Oklahoma earlier this year. Uh, read about a guy out in uh, West Texas who his two lab puppies ran on onto the ice. He went and in after them they all three died so i don't know how deep those ponds were how far the dogs made it out onto the ice but i surveyed this situation and said yeah we, we can hunt her and seeing how it played out yeah probably could have been worse and if the temperature was you know in the teens or single digits i might not have done it because coming out of that water 
if the temperature was say 10 degrees, I would have been in way worse shape, uh, than, you know, it being 32 or whatever it was at that time. So yeah, I would, I don't know. It's up to you as a, as a hunting dog owner to make that judgment call. I felt comfortable with the situation. Of course, I never want to bell to fall through the ice and things got real there for about 15 minutes, but it was the calm collective nature of our group all four of us never panicked um it was very systematic our our reaction to the situation and and that teamwork i think is is what saved the day and knowing that the truck i mean knowing that the truck was was only 150 yards away uh that probably in the back of my mind knowing that i could get warm was ultimately why i decided that we'd still hunt her anyway so, worst situation imaginable did happen. Here's here's the key, though. If, if there was one thing that I think made a huge difference, it was that I stripped down to just long john underwear. I took even the, my tops off. You know, all I had on was, was long john pants. And being able to get into warm clothes immediately after that was what kept me from getting frostbite or hypothermia or, or any of those uh, medical conditions associated with being cold for too long. So if you're ever in that situation, whether it's retrieving your dog that fell through the ice or having to cross a river in Alaska on a brown bear hunt, uh, highly recommend taking all your clothes off or, or at least a- as much as you can. And then putting those dry clothes back on as soon as you get across the river or get out of the water. Uh, that is a game changer. And the thing that I will take away from that situation more so than than anything else cuz uh, you know I never I never had to do it and you're you're ultimately in a survival situation at that point and so those kind of decisions or or having that knowledge and I don't know where we knew that from uh, but we knew to do it and and just having that knowledge uh was the the difference in coming out a okay or or having something worse occur uh so anyway a situation that I thought I'd share with you guys one that I don't want to relive at any point in the near future or ever for that matter, but definitely a story and a hunt that our group of guys will never forget and neither will Bell. I guarantee you that. Uh, anyway, that segment of the show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation to get plugged in with this great group of like-minded folks who are passionate about hunter's rights, hunter education, and conservation. Check us out at Big Game. We'll be right back with a couple guys who recently won the West Texas Big Bobcat Contest and a $48,000 paycheck. We'll hear all about their hunting style and that big tom that brought home the big money right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Gone for wood and lost her way back home. Night can believe in ghosts, but some nights I. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt. 
Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Hey y'all, it's Jeff Foxworthy, and thanks for listening to my buddy Cable Smith on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Eli Young Band bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you for being here today. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We're all set to talk a little predator hunting, one of my favorite pastimes. Uh, but before we get into a nearly $50,000 payday for a giant bobcat, uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Scent Blaster. Whether you are hunting deer, uh, feral hogs, or predators, even black bears, especially black bear, a Scent Blaster is a better way to get more scent out. It's a revolutionary new scent dispersal system. So if you use scents already in your hunting setups, you need to have a Scent Blaster in your pack. And you can find them at scentblaster.net. Okay, what do y'all say we go ahead and take a listen to our visit with Kurt Davis and William Wilkinson, the winners of the recent West Texas Big Bobcat Contest. Nearly 700 teams entered this thing, and uh, they took home... The grand prize, nearly $50,000. And we welcome them now, Kurt Davis and William Wilkinson. Thanks for being here, guys. Good to visit with you, too. Kate. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Well, And, Kurt, it's funny. We have a little bit of a history. Uh, we got drawn for the same New Mexico mule deer unit. God, I think that was back, what, in 2012? Uh, yes, sir. That sounds right. <laughs> so we, uh, we were just visiting a little bit. I, I didn't have any success on that hunt. I don't know if you did. The only deer I've seen was inside of the Red River and city limits. <laughs> yeah, so I, who cares? Unit 53, go home mule deer there in New Mexico. Yeah, it's exactly. great. Go do it. <laughs> you know, the, I found out when I was there, the locals don't even put in for that unit. No, they don't. Think some big elk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, some nice elk, but uh, I never even saw a buck. Saw two does while I was up there. So uh, one of those hunts where it's like you, you push yourself to the the brink physically and mentally and and uh, have nothing to show for it, but that's why you keep going back, I guess. Yes, sir, that's right. Um, well, cool. Well, yeah, so I was just uh, following along with the uh, West Texas Big Bobcat Contest, like I always do. I like to see who wins and how big the bobcat weighs, you know, how much it weighs. Um, found out you guys actually won, and the paycheck was a cool, I think, 48440 bucks, uh, something like that. Uh, yes, sir. So... Before we get into that, have you guys hunted the uh, the contest together before? Every yes, year. Sir. Yeah. William, how long have we hunted together in that? Uh, I think we started hunting together three or four years ago. I think it was, and yeah. we've hunted every contest since since we met together. Uh huh. So we've definitely put in our time to finally and, make a little money. And are you guys just work buddies, or did your your passion for predator hunting bring you together? Yes, sir. That's exactly right. We actually met at the Scurry County hunt. Uh huh. 
right on. four years ago. Me and a buddy won it, and he was there, and we just kind of got to bull, bull just chatting at the <laughs> no worries. Uh, check-in, and uh, just kind of hit it off after that, and we just had to start hunting together. We ain't missed a hunt since. Yeah. Okay, and so when you guys, I mean, you're, you're obviously very competitive. This is a serious deal for you guys. Um, do you guys hunt on a regular basis outside of the contest as well? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we try to hunt deer together and everything. I mean, we try to hunt. Even if it ain't predators, at least get together and hunt deer. We went whitetail hunting this year in mule deer. Kurt killed a big mule deer there in Gaines County this year, and I was there doing all that, and then he took me and killed a whitetail. We try to do as much hunting together as we can. Uh huh. Okay. How much of that that familiarity is is that something that's really important when you know you're, you're competing in a contest like this where there's a, a big paycheck on the line at the end of the day? Well, I think it is because uh, you've got to trust your partner. Like I trust I trust him to shoot, make long shots. I trust him to call, and he does the same with me. So that goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like you know trusting your partners, but efficiency, being able to hunt efficiently and nowhere to you know there's a lot of scouting a lot of preparation that goes into that stuff and you know anybody that competes and does it competitively and they'll agree that i mean being efficient with your partner whether you're hunting with one person or whether you're hunting with a full team of four it's having two people that are efficient together is a lot better to hunt than with four that don't really know how each other hunt you know what i mean it's, there's a lot that goes into it and also talking about where you guys hunt, you know, obviously we don't want GPS coordinates, but you guys obviously compete in this thing seriously. So you're going to have areas where you know there are big, big cats. This month. What did you say, West know. Texas? Yeah, West Texas. Yeah, it, there's there's lots of stuff west out here where I'm from that, you know, and I think the biggest deal is there's just big ranches and you can hunt very efficiently and you can make a lot of stands. Yeah. consecutive stands where you have the potential of killing lots and lots of animals and that's that's how people put up the big numbers is having the big 60 80 section ranches to where you don't have no windshield time you don't have no downtime mm-hmm. i mean you drive your three tenths half a mile or mile however you go to make your stand and then you're right back at it you know there's no it's all like i said about efficiency so i think producing uh, the numbers out west is easier because of the way you're able to efficiently hunt because of the big ranches. Yeah, that seems to be the general consensus between everybody, like you said. Yes, sir. Because how many hours Mm -hmm. is the contest? 23 hours. 23 23 hours, okay. And then you've got to get to the weigh-in, which we'll talk about uh, here. I guess we can talk about now. You actually have to bring in X number of foxes (laughs) or coyotes for your bobcat to even qualify. Yes, sir, that's right. You've got to kill at least five coyotes or five gray foxes. So when you when you start out, say you've got 23 hours. When you start calling, are you trying to get those those dogs first? Yes, sir. You, everybody that hunts in it, they want to get their five dogs and their five foxes before dark. That way they can focus all night on trying to kill that big cat. Uh-huh. Which you can ask plenty of teams. Last weekend was not a good uh, day hunt. We only had we had three dogs at dark, and we hunted our butts off to get those just nothing was responding it was windy it was hot it's when the good days are calling yeah so then you got you so you picked up three coyotes before dark yes sir and then kept going and got the two more before you ever even killed a cat we killed where we ended up with six coyotes yes sir yeah six coyotes a fox and then a cat oh wow so you all just you just killed the one cat 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we we had everything killed by eleven thirty at night, and then we went home and we got some sleep, and then just woke up in the morning and went to Angela. We didn't even have to hunt all night. <laughs> so when when you kill one that what did it weigh thirty four pounds seven ounces? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When you kill one that big, you know that you've got a good chance of winning. What it, traditionally what does the winning cat weigh? Over thirty, you can say. It's it's been progressively getting higher every year, and it changes per month. Usually January is the biggest weight. Uh-huh. It'll go down to thirty-two or thirty-three pounds to win it in the next two months. I would think, just guessing. Right. Okay. But you guys knew you had a pretty good shot at winning. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you we we he weighed thirty-four point four on our scales when we got him to the truck. So we put him in the pickup and said, "Hey, let's go to the house." So we went to the house, and I mean, you could keep hunting, but if you do kill another cat that weighs thirty-three pounds, I mean, you waste a cat theoretically because you can only weigh one. It's not right. like you can win first and second. Uh-huh. Well, I guess you could if you paid two entry fees. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> yeah, interesting. Okay, so it would be a waste of a cat to keep hunting. Mm-hmm. So it's easier just to, I mean, whatever place you get, and if you don't, I mean, you got two more tries. So yeah, and have you guys placed before? Nope, never placed no, before. Sir. Wow, and what is it? What, what, what is the entry fee uh, these days for the West Texas Big Bobcat contest? Two hundred a team. And I saw that the, I mean, total it was over a hundred thousand dollars they paid out. Yes, sir. Which is incredible. So there was there like six hundred something teams this time. Uh, six ninety six ninety two, I, I believe. God, it just gets bigger and bigger. Yes, sir. Okay, so let's talk about the sound that you guys used. Number one, when you're calling the dogs, you said it was hot, windy. They're not responding. Uh, you ended up killing your, you killed six coyotes. What were they responding to? William, you were running Jack calls mainly. Yeah, we uh, yeah, I mean, I, we use a variety of stuff, but everything was jackrabbit. Was of course that's a huge diet and animals out there. You, sure. I I live in that part of the country and work in the area all the time, so you kind of just call, use the sound of what what you see as far as prey. Uh, you know, there's tons and tons of jackrabbits this year, and I think that has a lot to do with the uh, coyote population being so high. You know, the food sources and everything. A really good year for for all animals, I believe. But jackrabbits a big diet for cows, but they were responding to jackrabbit. We we killed all our all our animals except for one to jackrabbit. The other one went to a cottontail. One of the one of the coyotes came to a cottontail. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've seen. I, I will tell you over the last couple of years, and people send me photos all the time to our Facebook and Instagram. I've seen more bobcats than I've ever seen. And I think it's you know it goes back to well we had that drought and then we we came back hell hell the quail came back but also you know rabbits were very abundant and then you start seeing more coyotes and bobcats um, like yeah. you said um, okay so what about the bobcat you've got your coyotes you know and, and walk us through how many stands number one you had to, you, you uh, had to go through to, to kill the cat and you know talk about your setup and and what sound he came to uh we uh we, we was pretty slow we was hunting one ranch and uh and it was pretty slow and uh, we knew it was good country we just kind of felt like the animals were turned off that you know nothing nothing was hungry or there was a barometric pressure or the moon something wasn't right so we uh we decided to switch ranches with just i mean the next ranch over just to kind of change the scenery give them a little bit of break i don't just trying to change our luck i guess yeah and uh, at that point, we had four coyotes and a fox is all we had. And uh, we go over there and 
uh, first stand, kill a coyote about, I don't know, 10 minutes in. Uh, we had a fox come up, and uh, we, we just have like kit fox or swift fox, whatever you want to call them. So they're not even really eligible to weigh in a cat. <clears throat> but we had him come in pretty early. We let him walk, and then a coyote come in, and, and Kurt killed him. And uh, about 10 minutes in, we called for a little bit longer, and then went to the next stand and killed another coyote. And uh, that gave us our six. And then we got in the pickup and we're driving the next stand and we kind of had a meeting and said, what, what's the game plan? What are we going to do? Are we going to let coyotes walk? Are we going to, you know, wait for a cat or what are we going to do? What is the advantage to killing a coyote at that point? Uh, I mean, nothing really other than helping the rancher. Sure. At that point. Oh, there's no side pot for most coyotes. Yeah, there, yeah, there is, there is. But I mean, to have six coyotes in the bag by midnight, give or say, you don't, you don't give yourself much opportunity to kill that many you need to have a little bigger number at that point to uh-huh. take out in my opinion okay okay and so what did you guys but, decide yes more more coyotes uh, or no or i i told i told kurt that my oh, man you're on the gun i said you uh whatever decision you make i'm good with just you shoot what you want to shoot just tell me what you want to shoot and i'll drop the light on him so that's what we did and we were 11 minutes in to tony tebby's jack wagon and uh Cat come around the corner. I seen him. He's probably 150 yards. We talked. Said it looks like a cat. He come out. I don't know. He's about 100 yards. And we said he looked small. And we decided to go ahead and shoot him, see what he was. And Kurt dropped a hammer on him, and and he was tiny. He walked out there to him. <laughs> yeah, we we thought he was little. I mean, yeah, 20 mid 20s. We didn't think he was much, but we needed one. So, and we got out there to him, and he was a lot of things, but he wasn't little. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Okay, and and so he came in to, uh, to tell us again what that what that call was. And I know Tony; he's actually he's been on the show years and years ago. Yeah, Tony Tebby, He has a call called Jack Wagon. Uh huh. And that's what that's what he came into. The Jack. We, we used a series of calls, but that's what he came in when the that's what sound was playing when he came in. And now, can you guys use thermals for this uh, this contest or no? No, sir. No, we don't. No, thermals aren't allowed, but we don't own any anyway. So. Uh-huh. So it's all spotlight. We ain't got that kind of money. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, you do yeah, now. Yeah, you can go get yourself yeah, the top of the line. Now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think we need to change up what we're doing anyway. No. No, but, uh, okay. So you get this 34-pound on your scale, four-ounce cat <laughs> on the ground. And you said, okay, we're good for the night. Um, and then how far away was the weigh-in from where you guys were hunting? Or from where you, I guess, from yeah. where you crashed? Three hours. We went to my house and wink and went to sleep, and it was about three hours. Uh huh. And then what time is the weigh in? 11 o'clock. Right on. So y'all got to. We got there at 9 30. <laughs> okay. And within the 80 cats, about where did you guys line up as far as, you know, the weigh in? We were the second cat to get weighed. We got there at 9 30. We couldn't. We were so excited we couldn't sleep, so we got up at 6 and left <laughs> and just got there early. We wanted to get him weighed because you know you kill something. Yeah. He killed something. He might have weighed 35 pounds, and we shot him. He might have lost half a pound. Right. Yeah. We figured the earlier we got him weighed, the more he was going to weigh, so we wanted to get there just as early as we could. And he went up yeah. three ounces. Yep. From oh, yeah, scale. our scales, of course, we don't know how true our scales were. So. Right. Right, and he mm-hmm. actually ended up weighing a pound more than second place. Uh, yes, sir. That's right. That's a pretty wide uh, margin of victory. When, when you win something like that, do you – just get the whole check, and then how does that work as far as the, the take-home? I'm sure that they, the government's going to get their cut out of that. Yeah, they will. They uh, actually wrote us They wrote us each a check for 
24,220. And then and you then, just have to claim it on your taxes or whatever. Yes, sir. Okay. Right on. Yeah, we had to fill a W9 when we left. Well, that is too cool, guys. Uh, one more thing. I want to know, how do y'all decide who's shooting and who's running the call in the spotlight? Well, uh, we usually have like a shoot to miss. Shoot till you miss. And, I mean, I, I, I didn't kill an animal. Kurt killed every animal we weighed in. I, I never, I never really? killed an animal. I, yeah, Kurt, Kurt never missed. He's got that 243 really shooting. And, I mean, he was – no, they didn't stand a chance. They get within 250 yards. They didn't. They didn't have a chance, so I, I never fired a shot. Gladly, happily do it again. We keep if he keeps shooting like that. So usually, I mean, it's just a shoot till you miss. If he misses and his confidence is gone, then I'll get on the gun. But it's like make it, take it, and yeah, pick up game. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> we, I mean, they were responding to me calling as good as they were anybody that we had talked to during the hunt. So we didn't see no sense in switching stuff up. Yeah, I mean, so, so two forty three. No, I, I never killed an animal. Okay, so yep. Kurt's shooting a, a 243. Mm-hmm. William's running the call on the light. Uh, Kurt, what ballistically, what is your preference there for uh, that 243? What, what bullet? Uh, are you I shoot the Hornady 75 grain VMAX Super Performance. Uh huh. Awesome. The rifle I shoot uh, West Texas Ordnance. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. They're based out of Ackerley. Uh huh. They build custom rifles. They built this rifle for me this year, and it is an absolute tack driver. And I run a I run a silencer co harvester on it. Okay, so always suppressed. Yes, sir. I run a I have a loophole VX five three by fifteen by forty four on it. Uh huh. So same thing gets us in coyote bobcat size three hundred yards. I'm confident. Headshot or whatever. You know, everyone has a different philosophy on the spotlight. Number one, do you have the dimmer set up? Our buddy Jeff Thomason yes. over at Predator Pursuit, he he always wants to keep that hush hush. <laughs> but I think uh, I think the cat's out of the bag on that deal. I mean, hell, I know I yeah. have one. Yeah, we run a coyote lot and run a dimmer. It has a dimmer on it. We we run the dimmer and everything just to keep from burning coyotes and stuff. We <clears throat> yeah, and, and you're running white light. No, sir, red. Red light, okay. Yeah, is that general? the general consensus among most of the teams you talk to i think it's personal preference i don't i don't i don't do a whole lot of research as to what other people are doing as far as competitor i mean i <clears throat> i know what what we're what we use and it, it seems to work and but i mean i know that a lot of people like the coyote lot yeah i, I wouldn't use any other lot prefer yeah. i mean me i wouldn't i wouldn't use one they're yeah. they're pretty sharp out of the bag right on well, cool guys. Well, hey, I certainly appreciate you jumping on with us. Uh, congratulations. That's, I mean, a hell of a payday. And then just the, uh, you know, it's a it's a nice sense of accomplishment to come in first place on you know on top of the money when you're talking about 690 something teams and yeah, you're the king of the hill for now. So, uh, congratulations. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope you uh, can make it out next month, dude. I'd love to. I'd, yeah, I'd love just to come in as uh, as an observer sometime. So. I'd be letting you guys down if you gave me the gun. I tell you that right now. <laughs> Shoot till you miss. So that'd be a quick deal. Uh, yeah. One shot. Here you go. That, uh, <laughs> that ain't saying we ain't missed a bunch either. Well, cool. Well, hey, thanks again for your time today, Kurt William. Uh, people can see the the winning Bobcat. It's on our Facebook page, uh, Instagram as well. And we hope that you guys continue uh, to uh, to rock and roll. And who knows, maybe be the first back to back champs. That would be all right. That would be a hand, Andy. (laughs) Thanks again. Yes, sir.
So there you have it, Kurt Davis and William Wilkinson, winners of the West Texas Big Bobcat Contest in that $48,440 payday. That's a lot of coin for shooting a Bobcat, right? Uh, which, hey, that begs the question, what do you think? Do you think that those predator calling contests with big payouts are even ethical? I don't know. Something to think about for a future episode. Uh, I don't personally have a problem with them, but seems like a lot of people do. Maybe something to get into on a future episode. That segment was brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-Style Barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner and enjoy Rudy's True Texas-Style Barbecue. Uh, unfortunately, just looking at the time here, got to go, got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to all of our guests today, uh, Kurt and William, as well as Denton County Game Warden Stormy McQuiston. Uh, we appreciate him jumping on to talk about the poached Denton County would have been state record. Uh, such a sad deal to see that caliber of a buck go on the wall of shame. Uh, truly is. Uh, I do want to thank all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Of course, I want to thank you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. And the moon is so bright. It don't look like night. And the diamond how it sparkles in the lights of Loving County.